Um, but I love this last song that we ended with, right? Um, higher ground. The Apostle Paul talks about Christian maturity. Christian maturity. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, Forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead, I strive upwardly to reach what the, the upward calling that Christ has called me, that heavenward calling. Forgetting what is behind, striving towards what is ahead, that higher ground, that pursuit of the higher ground. This is the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And as Christian leaders, he then says, <clears throat> all of us who are mature should take such view of the things. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such view of things. When we think about Christian maturity, it's not a level that we reach. It's not a level that we reach. It's not a destination, but don't miss this, it's an orientation. If I'm pursuing Jesus, if I'm pressing on, if I'm looking towards what God has called me to heavenwards, if every ounce of my soul and being, even if I'm exhausted at the end of the semester, if every part of my spiritual life is saying, let's go forward, let's press on, I'm going on with Jesus, I'm being mature. Even if you're a brand new Christian, or if I'm sort of well, I'm good enough. I'm being immature. Today we're going to look in our continued series about Christian leadership and about how that is so critical for our church as we're putting things back together, as this revitalization is happening, as God is wedding new people to this congregation who are emerging as our leaders. It's always going to be those who are pursuing what that high calling to which God has called us heavenward. So let's pray together and ask that God would speak today through his word um, about this high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Father, help us be the people you've called us to be. Father, we know that you love us, that you have been our example to us through your son Jesus, through your own character and actions. Father, we ask that you would give us godly leadership. And Lord, we ask that you would make us godly leadership. Keep us close to your heart. Continue to ignite and fan into full flame the gift that is in us as we seek you. Lord, teach us from your word this morning. We're listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, guys, you know that every organization requires leadership. Every organization requires leadership. Um, it requires leadership, um, <clears throat> or else it's just not going anywhere, right? Um, it requires um, people who know what to do and know where to go. And every successful organization requires good and competent leadership, right? Are you one of those that likes those leadership books, Do you, you know, on all the business things, you know, right? Good to great, and that, that, you know, any of those, you know, the old Collins book or something like that, and you're reading about how somebody took a, a well, here's a, a company that did lots of paper, but now they're not going to make paper anymore. They're, they're going to make, you know, just, you know, I like those kind of books. I, they challenge me. They make me think about what does it take for an organization to truly thrive and to go forward, and good and competent leadership, people that know what they're doing, things that, you know, we read about, oh, Lee Iacocca, he changed Chrysler, or anybody. Um, <clears throat> I already bought my tickets for my summer vacation this morning, and today on the news, I heard that Southwest Airlines might be going on strike. 
I'm like, no, because that's who I bought my tickets with. They can't go on. No, good incompetent leadership. We need people that know what they're doing. We need people to put this thing together. Somebody step in. Somebody make it work. It drives me crazy. We need good incompetent leadership. But I want to make one more statement this morning because this concerns us. Every Christian organization requires godly, godly leadership. It's not just competent. It's not just gifted. It's not just those that seem to be the flashiest or the best or the most equipped or the highest degrees or the smartest. But Christian church, God's kingdom, requires godly leadership. And this is where we find ourselves in the text this morning as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 together. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. This is one you can, you can take to the bank. It says, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. A noble task. What is it? It's saying that if you are one who say, I, I would like to serve in the church. I would like to use my gifts for the kingdom of God. I think this is a good thing for me to invest my life in. Guys, that is a noble and good task. That is a high calling. It's not the, well, you know, if you can't really do anything else, maybe you could be a pastor. Yeah, that's not how we approach this. We approach this, when we use, well, if you can't do anything else, maybe you could work for the church. No, it's a noble task. It's a high calling. That's what Paul sets us out to see. So let's read through the text and see what those requirements are for these various roles in the church. In verse 2, it says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. Now, if anybody doesn't know how to manage their own family, how are they supposed to take care of God's church? He must be, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Verse 8, in the same way deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must first be tested. And if nothing has been found against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way. Women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. He must manage his children and his household well, and those who have served well will gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. A lot is spent here talking about these qualifications for these overseers or pastors or bishops. A lot of time is spent talking about these deacons and who they're supposed to be and the, and the women. Are they women deacons? Or are they, a lot of time is spoken about these leaders in the church, these people who are using their gifts. And it has left the church kind of thinking a lot about how should a church be organized? What are these leaders supposed to be? And honestly, it, it's kind of confusing a bit, but what exactly are the positions in a, in a church? What should they be? 
If we're setting out to organize, organize the kingdom, which is exactly what Jesus left his disciples and his apostles to do, what exactly should be these church positions? Well, honestly, there's some confusion, um, and you can kind of flip ahead here. Um, there's confusion in part because Peter himself refers um, to himself as an apostle uh, and a, here's the term, presbyteros or an elder. What is it? He says in verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But later in chapter 5, he calls himself an elder, and he says, to the elders, I appeal to you as a fellow elder in the church. So is Peter an apostle, or is he an elder, or is he both? The same thing happens with Paul. Paul refers to himself as an apostle and a diakonos, or a servant, or minister, or deacon. He says, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants to whom you, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each his task. Usually Paul calls himself an apostle, or a doulos, one who is a bondservant to Jesus Christ. But here he's saying, I'm also a minister and a servant. Does that mean Paul had different titles or different roles in the church? Or are these really descriptions of what he was going through? Here in these contexts, it's probably descriptions. Well, <clears throat> we don't have time to go through all of the passages on all of church leadership this morning. But I want to give you three terms in the New Testament that it talks about consistently, or at least a little bit, about positions in the church. One, it talks about episkopoi, or episkopos would be the singular. But what is that? It's often translated overseers. We just saw that in the passage we just had. Sometimes it's translated bishops or pastors or shepherds. But the episcopos or person was someone who kind of looked out and looked over the affairs of the church. They gave direction to the congregation, but not just in administration, but also seems like spiritual care, leading the people, caring for them, helping them go forward. Um, the shepherds. The second term is diakonoi, or you hear it, right? Deacon, right? Sometimes translated servant or minister. These people seem to assist with all the churches and all of its various functions and roles. And finally, these are mentioned a whole lot, the presbyteroi, or the, or the elders of the church. It literally means old guys. It literally means the old guys in the church. And it's typically translated elders because that's really a much nicer way to say it. Did I ever tell you about my <clears throat> exploits into my Spanish mission trips into the mountains of Peru? I tried some things, and I know enough Spanish to be dangerous. I just, I, enough to just like, pretty much if you're not careful, you're going to offend somebody. And you know, I, I thought I was getting kind of the hang of it and kind of figuring out how this language was going. And as we were, we had spent some time, I was with a pastor, and we had visited an elderly couple in their home and, and been sharing God's word with them and, and that, 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 that kind of stuff. And it was really wonderful. And as we were walking back, kind of conversing, and I was trying to converse with him in Spanish, and we were kind of coming down, and we were talking about them. And I referred to them in sort of like a, as a group term as the, what I thought would say, you know, that sweet, eld that elderly couple, you know, the nice, you know, I called them the viejos, which really kind of means like the old bags. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I, I was like, uh, no, 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 I didn't mean to say that. He's like, okay, he got this surprised look on it. He says, you call them terceros, like in the third stage of life. We call it the third, that's a respectful term. Don't call them the, the old peoples, <laughs> yeah, the old folks. <laughs> don't, don't, don't use that. I was like, oh, good grief. Presbyteroi literally means the old folks, but, but probably it's more of a respectful term. The teseros, the, the third stage, the, the, the older, the, the, the elders of the congregation. These often seem to have like a lot of decision-making capabilities. 
Well, the question then for us as a church, as we're moving forward as a congregation, we've got to do some work. How is this church organized? In our constitution, we have deacons, we have pastors. Are the, do they correspond to these three things, these episcopoi, these diaconoi, these presbyteroi? Um, how does it all fit together? Well, some people believe that these ought to be organized very much in like a little hierarchy here, right? That you put the elders at the top, and others don't put the elders at the top, but some see that the elders should be sort of like an elder board. Like this is a group of, of the wise, older people in the church, and they, they kind of rubber, you know, not rubber stamp, but they approve what needs to be approved. They disapprove of what's being disapproved. And a lot of churches are organized around this type of system. There, there is the board, the one that we're all answerable to. And then you would have the pastors, um, and later the lower level leaders or the diaconoi or the deacons of the church. Guys, I, I don't see it. I don't see any scriptural evidence that these guys were in a hierarchy. I don't see any evidence that, that, that somehow there's supposed to be a board that sits back and isn't really serving or isn't really doing the work, but just kind of kicks back and says, yeah, I like that idea. Nope, I get to know. I, I, I don't see that elder board type of system in the New Testament. But boy, we like it. I like it. Haven't I, am I there yet? I, I don't know if I'm one of the oldest guys, but, but I, I like to be the guy that approves. You know, yeah, I like. We all kind of get to that stage where, well, you know, this is how we do things around here. I, we kind of like that. It, it kind of it appeals to our ego or, or we feel like we've earned a place. This just not seems to be the New Testament model. Now, other people believe that, no, 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 what we have are apostles. It's still a hierarchy, but you had those initial apostles, the big A apostles, the ones who started off, these ones that Jesus commissioned, that had the message of of the scriptures, but then went out to start these local churches, and they would appoint leaders in the different churches. So there were apostles, but those apostles on this next slide, the apostles, um, they're not there anymore, but they were the top leaders. And after that, you had Episcopoi and Presbyteroi, the elders and pastors were kind of equivalent. They, 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 they seem to be referring to the same role. They seem to be the same people, and we often call them pastors. And then there were deacons, these servants in the church, these ministry leaders in the church. Now, evidence for this comes from Titus. In Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might appoint what? elders in every town as I directed you. An elder, he says, must be blameless. But by the next verse, he switched terms. And he says, since an overseer manages God's household. It seems like the two are interchangeable here. Elders and, and overseers, they seem to have this, this, this overlapping places of responsibility. I think that's possible. But here's what I actually think. I think Paul's using these terms and they have these overlapping areas of responsibility. That this somehow we, the, 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 there's a little bit of fuzziness going on in the early church. There are elders and deacons and overseers, these ministers, the, the, these older mature leaders, the, these shepherds, these directors of the ministry. And, and, and they, they aren't clear cut like, oh, I'm a deacon but not an uh, elder. Or I'm an elder and not an, a, a pastor. There seems to be some overlap. And if you look in this next slide, it, it might look something more like this. That some of the deacons were maybe part of, of the elders but some of the deacons weren't. And some of the, the, the um, pastors were also deacons and, and elders. And there was some of shared leadership going on. And somehow it was mixed and unclear even in the early church. 
Here's some evidence for it. Look at this in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy 3. Now the overseer, what's he have to do? Well, we've got a whole bunch of characteristics, but one of them's this. He better be able to teach. The overseer better be able to teach. If he's going to be a leader in God's kingdom, he better be able to teach. He's got to show God's word. He's got to teach God's word. He's got to help people grow. But it's not just him. Look in verse uh, chapter 5. It talks about to the elders who also direct the affairs of the church. Wait, Episcopoi meant a director of ministries. But hey, the elders had to do it too. But also the elders had to do, at least some of them, they're worthy of double respect, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So some of the elders were doing preaching and teaching, just like the Episcopoi, uh, just like the pastors were expected to do preaching and teaching. Some of the elders had to do it too, and there's some overlap. There seems to be overlap. In chapter 5, it also says this, to the elders, Peter says this, the, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. In other words, you're taking care of the people. You're managing them. You're helping them grow. You're helping the church be organized. You're helping them function. You're caring for the sheep that are under your care. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what it says of a deacon too. Um, verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3, Three, a deacon has to be faithful to his wife and manage his own children and household. It's the same sort of word, managing, caring for your household, caring for the people in the church as well. Okay. Are you sufficiently confused? Are, 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 are you sufficiently like, okay, this is really interesting. Could this have been on like a, like a other thing we got? This seems to be like a seminary textbook class. Okay. Here's the truth. I think what we see from Scripture is that churches can be organized in different ways. And effective churches organize their leaders in different ways. I think there are key ideas, key concepts, and key roles that must be fulfilled. We need to have people who know God's word, who are mature enough as elders, who have been walking with the Lord for enough time to be able to give guidance because they know God's character. They know God's heart. Yesterday, I got to meet with a young college student, and he's fairly new into this whole Christian thing, and he was asking me questions. He was saying, you know, I got to be honest, I don't know, is it God telling me to do something, or is it just my own thoughts? Anybody have that question? Anybody wrestle with it sometimes? Because I really think God was telling me to take a vacation. <laughs> I really think God was telling me to buy that new car. I really think God was telling me to date this person. Because Sometimes we're just taking what we want and putting it in God's mouth, right? How do we tell the difference between a true calling of God and just maybe our own thoughts? Anybody got an answer on that one? That's a tough one. I'm kind of waiting. Those of you who know him, who know his word, you know how we distinguish the difference, right? We go back to God's word and the things that sound like the Lord, the things that sound like his character are probably from him. And the things that don't sound like God, like buy a new car, the things that don't sound like the God, like uh, take more time off, the things that don't, take Sabbath, yes, take more... The things that call us to sacrifice, the pursuit of God, the living for others, the, the model that Jesus gave for him, those things that sound like Scripture are probably from the Lord, right? 
It's that el- we need elders. We need people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time who are able to teach others. Maybe they can't teach or preach up in front of everybody, but they're good at teaching to a small crowd or teaching one-on-one. We need people in the church that fulfill that role as shepherd and elder. But we also need people who give their time to directing the church. And I'm talking like these pastor, episcopoi types that are able to say, look, this church needs to go in this direction. These are things that are are not being done. Our church has not been evangelistic. Or our church needs to grow in its worship leadership. Or our church needs to grow in in its discipleship and how we're building up believers. we got to have some people who are thinking strategically about the church and who the church is. There is a role, this episcopoi role, this bishop role, this pastoral role. Finally, we've got to have deacons, people who are ministry leaders, people who are saying, yeah, I'm in. Something needs to be done. I'm going to get it done. Hey, the kitchen needs to be cleaned or organized or someone needs to take responsibility for Friday nights or somebody needs to organize what's going to happen for our teaching ministry on Sunday mornings. We have to have people who are taking on leadership roles in the church to make sure that the tasks and ministries of the church, like the music ministry, are getting accomplished week by week. It is an intense pressure. It is a heavy load, and it is something that God has called us all to share together. That's why it says, you too desires to be an overseer or a deacon or an elder. You all desire. That's a noble task. It's something for the kingdom. It's something for the body. So how should these things be organized? We as a church have some freedom. I think the early church models that they kind of did it a little bit differently in different places, and some of the titles were different, but they got it done by making sure it was organized properly, that there were teachers and elders, that there were people who were giving direction, and there were people who were organizing and making sure the events came about. These three roles somehow blended together. Right now, as a church, like I said, we have basically an office of a deacon that currently we don't have anybody in deacons. We're going to be working this fall as a church to say, how do we have deacons? Who's going to be the deacons? Who rises? We're going to see this morning there are some qualifications for those deacons or ministry leaders. There's also this role of pastor. How do we assemble? We've been assembling a pastoral team um, to, to give us guidance and teaching, but we've also been a Assembling teaching teams, people who are teaching in the church, and we talked a lot about that last week, who was going to be our teachers. And that brings us to our most important question today. Not so much what are these roles, not so much how are they organized, but the text has an emphasis. The Apostle Paul had an emphasis, and God has an incredible emphasis that needs to be our emphasis this morning. It's who. Now, I'm not talking about who, like, all right, everybody put your names in a hat and let's draw out which names are who. I'm not talking about let's all vote and see who, who which person. He talks about who in terms of their character, in terms of what the qualifications are. And this is the central point of the text. It's that we need a godly church needs godly leadership. God's people need qualified leaders, and he's going to tell us exactly who those people need to be. Look what he says in verse 2, and let's dig into the text here for about the episcopoi, about these overseers and pastors. He says the overseer or the pastor is to be what? Above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Wow, 
we get to these lists, um, and all of a sudden I start thinking, okay, who's qualified? I hope we have some. But there's some of them that, like, <clears throat> like I said, I'm a philosopher, so I can take any term in any phrase, and I can, like, dig into it and start to go, what does that actually mean? And I start getting real shaky here. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that they are above reproach? I mean, literally above reproach. Like, 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 what does that actually, is this perfection? In Titus, when he's describing what, a, what an overseer must be, a, a pastor is supposed to be, he says, blameless. Barry, Barry do you get squeamish on that one? Because I start getting squeamish, squeamish. Above, above reproach. Finding no fault with them, like there's nothing wrong, like they're absolutely sinless. I start like going, okay, where's the door? I mean, I, I, right? I mean, the scripture is clear in Romans chapter three: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> he goes on in chapter three: no one's righteous, not even one. There is no one perfect. So, what does it mean? The apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven: this apostle, this deacon, this this leader in the church says this in chapter seven. He says, man. <laughs> The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Those things I hate, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't, I don't do. What is wrong with me? Why is this sinful flesh still in me? Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. So we know that our salvation is in Christ alone. That is not perfection that enables us to be a pastor or an elder or church minister. And I'm afraid that there are those of you today who you kick back and say, I, I, I can't lead in the church. I, I, I can't because you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to tell us um, in, in, in 2 Timothy, he's like, look, I was the chief of sinners. I persecuted other Christians. So, and God displayed in me this incredible goodness so that I might be an example to others that they too uh, can believe. If God can accept me and make me an apostle, then he can take you and use you in his kingdom. This is for us. It is not above reproach. doesn't mean absolute perfection. This above reproach means that no one's going to be able to sit there and say, well, this is obviously a pretty significant character flaw that this guy is continuing to maintain. There's a respectability. Self-control. That's one that always gets me because every so often, <clears throat> like even last night, I really am thinking about starting a diet. But we bought this extra ice cream. And so I'm thinking that probably means, it's probably a sign from God, really, that the diet ought to start after we finish the two and a half gallons, right? Because there's two half gallons. I mean, later. I mean, we'll finish that up pretty soon, actually. That won't take me that long. But I... Well, does that mean if you ever impulse buy, you're not worthy to be a, a leader in the church? If you ever have, you know, well, no. Self-control is meaning generally. You're not giving in to every sin that comes by, every temptation that comes along. What, what does this mean, self-control? And here's a biggie. I, this is a big one. Faithful to his wife. Really, the translation ought to be more like the husband of but one wife. And oh, is there a lot of discussion about that in the churches. 
Husbands of but one wife. Is he talking about polygamy? Which actually polygamy there isn't really the thing. I mean, I mean, it, it, there are cultures where that's a big issue. And, and I, when, I, when I was in a, another country that had Senegal, you could have up to four wives. And I remember that was one of the issues for the church because culturally you could have multiple wives. But in the church, they were like, no, 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 church leaders can't. It's, other people in the church could. Um, well, they weren't supposed to. But if they already had them and they became Christians, you don't put away your wife. And now what do you do? But they would say, no, no, you can't be poly- Is it about polygamy? Probably not the emphasis here. It, it, it doesn't mean that the person has to be a man. To, to, to be both deacon and to be uh, overseer pastor. Um, now, there's some other arguments about why we're going to have male pastors here, but we don't see Episcopal ever kind of in the early church being women. That may be a culture thing. But other leadership, like we talked about last time, of teaching and leading in our church are. But here I don't even think it's really about, oh, it has to be the husband of one wife emphasizing that they've got to be a man or that they have to be married. Some people say they have to be married, right? You can't be a husband of one wife if you're single. <clears throat> there is a way logic like, I remember I teach philosophy. In logic, we have what's called a vacuously true statement. So vacuously true statement, I have lots of kids, um, or I could say my kids are always good. That's a true statement because I have no kids, and so they're always good. They're also always bad. It, 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 it's a weird thing in philosophy, and you're thinking, how does that work? I, don't, don't get me to explain it, but we could pretend that that's what's going on. Um, like, oh, well, you can be single, but it says you're supposed to be a husband of one wife. So doesn't that mean they have to be married? It later says that their children have to obey them. So does that mean, if you haven't figured out, Vicky and I don't have any kids, does that mean I can't be a pastor if we don't have children yet? What, what is this? Something Now, Paul elsewhere uh, admonishes singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We saw that last week. We saw also that, that Paul even has places where there is sort of biblical things where, where divorce is possible. Is it about divorce and you can never have divorce? What's going on in this passage? Brothers and sisters, I think we get confused. I think we get confused when we try to say, oh, this is like a checklist. This is like a list, and, and, you, and, and we need to like really dig in and make sure all, the person meets all of these qualifications in this way. I think Paul is actually giving a list for a very different reason. I think because character is the central concern. It's they're the right kind of person, a person who is faithful to his spouse and to his family, a, pay, a person who is hospitable, they are respectable, they are above reproach, they're not given to, 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 to indulgences and pursuing any kinds of things. Because, did you notice that love was left off the list? Can you be unloving and be a good pastor? Probably not. <laughs> we know from 1 John that love is central. So we're Paul is talking about character in general. That instead of this Pharisee who grew up with lots of rules and lots of lists and lots of ways to make sure you can be a good Pharisee or a bad Pharisee, a good follower of God or a bad follower of God, he's giving us general characteristics to point us in the direction to realize that, man, character is central and that we are called to be looking at our character. Are we the type of people who are truly following the Lord? In Titus chapter 2, I feel like we see this emphasis, and it has it here when it says in verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no or to reject ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Brothers and sisters, that's for all of us. That's not for Christian leaders here. That's every one of us need to have self-controlled, upright, godly lives, lives that say no to worldly passions and to ungodliness. We have a different calling, and this is the calling of the pastor. The pastor is to be 
Well, let's look at those three words. Number one, self-controlled. Um, <clears throat> look at how many on those lists involve self-control. Faithful to his wife or the husband of one wife, dedicate, a one-wife kind of guy, a one-spouse kind of person. Yeah, that's self-control. You're not flirtatious. You're not got different ladies on the side. None of that. Temperate. You have the kind of personality that you are under control. You, you have, you're not a drunker. You're not violent, but you're gentle. You're not a lover of money. You're not just overly just enamored with, boy, checking out your retirement plan every single week and how can you save more money or spend more money or have more things. There is self-control, but they're also supposed to be what? Upright. Upright above reproach. This is how you look towards the rest of the world and what you're portraying to others. Are you doing things that people are not able to find fault with everything you say and everything you do? You are respectable, you are hospitable, and you have a good reputation with outsiders. Wasn't that an interesting one? Even their neighbors, even their friends, people they do business with, they have good reputation with outsiders. I've often thought how I um, deal with things like doing business um, and how I interact with people. It was about a year and a half ago that I was buying a car just up the street here at the Mazda dealership and I, I was buying a used car and feeling pressured. You ever feel pressured by the car salesman a little bit? I go in, I have a plan, I had a plan. I was not going to experience the pressure. I was, oh, I was not going to say, I was not going to buy the extras. I was not going to buy, no, I was not. We already talked about it. I was not going to buy the extras. But man, I'm such a sucker. I, <laughs> you, 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 you can sell me anything. You can, and I, and they tell me, yeah, but you know, and I thought, mm, but I don't like feeling pressured. I like to feel, mm, and I was feeling, and I was about to get, I was getting a little like, I was kind of getting like, I was going to get a little bit almost angry a little bit. I was like, mm, mm, and finally I kind of bought one that I didn't like, and then I was kind of really sort of mad at myself, but I already said I've yes, and then they're trying to get me to buy something else, and then I'm like, mm, I'm about to really, I'm about to, I'm about to get angry. My, my blood was boiling. I was about to <clears throat> let this guy have it. I'm not very good at that kind of thing, but I was about to. And then he asked me, what do you do? I, I, I'm teach. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Uh, okay, and I, I also passed her down the street at the Valley Baptist. She's like, oh, my daughter goes to preschool there. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for uh, saving me on that one. You know, I mean, I didn't blow up. I didn't, you know, good reputation with outsiders. How am I dealing with the workmen outside in my street that keep blocking my car because they're working on the gas line? How do I deal with... We all are called to be self-controlled, upright. And what was the last word? Godly. That our care, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. We are godly in the way we walk. We are walking with the Lord. We are being faithful and we are transformed into his character. 
One of the characters in the Old Testament who had gone through so much was Job. And Job says this about himself. He says, if I've walked with falsehood or my foot has turned after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and he'll know that I'm blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I've sown and may my crops be uprooted. He goes on and on, but he says, look, I've lived blamelessly. I can be in good conscience that I've been faithful to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we've constantly, all of us are called to say, have I lived today in a God-honoring way? Have I walked with him today in the way I should? Every single day I have to confess, no, I, I haven't been completely like Jesus wanted me to be. Every day is dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ. Every day I need his, his mercy uh, that he's already given us through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's already been paid for. I'm not your perfect pastor. Barry's not your perfect pastor. We're not going to be your perfect... I think Christine might be over here on the music. I, I got high hopes here. But we're not going to be these perfect church leaders and deacons. But we are going to be those who seek to strive, forgetting what is behind, pressing on to what God has called us to, or else we need to step down. That's just how it's got to be. Who are supposed to be these teachers? They have to be good leaders. They have to be consistent. This next slide, there are two other things that he mentions about the pastors, and he says this. One, they have to be good household managers, and true, two, not, not new to the faith. What does it say in verse 4? He must manage his own family well um, and see his own children obey him. And he must do so in a manner that is worthy of respect. Now, here, here, here's what i got to be honest. <clears throat> I, I grew up in church, and we always had pastors, and we always had the pastor's kids, and I often grew up with the pastor's kids. Sometimes they were the worst ones. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what's going on there? I, look, it's not that every pastor's child has to be... But the pastor and his wife, you know, they are doing a good job of, of, of sincerely trying to pastor their children, shepherd their children, discipline their children, work with their children. Um, it's, worth, it's a manner that's worthy of respect. They've got to manage their own finances even well. Um, I can tell you stories of some pastors that they didn't do some background checks. And as this church hires pastors, we ought to like do some background checks on finances even. Because if you're not managing your finances well, boy, you can get the church in trouble as well. So do they manage their lives well? Because if you can't manage your own life well, how are you supposed to be this director of the ministry and take care of God's church? That's what it says in verse 5. And then number six, verse six, they can't be a recent convert. They can't be a neophyte. That doesn't mean they can't be young, David. And being young is fine. We're, we're excited about you, man. That young is okay. Young in the faith is not. Young in the faith is not. We have to be very careful. I'm all about college students. I'm all about pushing them into ministry roles and promoting them. What I'm not all about is calling them deacons and elders and, you know, that kind of thing. You give titles too quick. You give accolades too quick. You can affirm them. You can encourage them. But sometimes we push too quickly and give roles. It says that they can fall into the same judgment as the devil. We become conceited, thinking we're special. Hey, it's hard enough to stay humble when you're feeling like, oh, I've got this special call of God. Hey, it's God's grace and his mercy. We are all his body. We are all his people. And it takes a long time to get used to and see our failures so much that you realize that it's only by God's grace that you're in the roles that you have. They can't be a recent convert. We need to give people time.
We just got done with the first one. That was a, and you're thinking, what? We got two more? Yeah, but here's what's fortunate. Look what it says about the deacons and the, and the, and the elders. Look what it says about diaconoi and presbyteroi. Verse 8, in the same way. This isn't something new. This isn't something different. In the same way, there must be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. It's the same. Verse 9, they must hold to the deep truths of the faith. Yeah, the elders have to too. The overseers and the pastors have to too. We all hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. But I love this phrase, verse 10. First, they must be tested. This, this often makes a church wonder, what kind of test are we supposed to give? Well, fortunately, I'm a professor. I got plenty of these New Testament tests, Old Testament. I can just pull out some and we can... That's not the kind of test we're talking about. It's an ongoing test of character and life and knowledge of scriptures. Are they continuing to show that they are learning, that they're growing, that they know God's word, and that they're living it out faithful? It's an ongoing test. That's why they also can't be a new convert. You should see how they've been living, how it's been working within their lives. Notice the phrase, in the same way. When there's nothing against them, let them serve. In the same way was used also with the women. Are those then women deacons? Probably. Women leaders and ministers and servants. Some like to use it as wives, but I don't think it's wives here. I think it's showing that the women had this, they were worthy of respect. They were not malicious talkers. They were trustworthy in everything and all the tasks that God had for them. If you want more on that information, I've got actually a handout of last week's sermon. Um, you can read up on it. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. Same tasks, same reasons, same application. Titus chapter 1, an elder also has to be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. We see it's in the same Brothers and sisters, as we go forward as a church, we've got a lot of new jobs. As we expand, we've got a lot of new roles. As we grow as a congregation, we have a lot of opportunities for you to be involved, to join as members. We need somebody to do that. Join as members, but then also expand and lead out with your gifts. But here's the deal. We've got to be the right people. The church will fall apart if godly leadership is not in place. We have to be the right people. So what does this mean for you? Well, number one, consider your calling to this noble task. Are you one that's pursuing knowing God, knowing his word, and being that person of, of nobility, of character, above the approach? Consider your calling. Your calling first and foremost to know God and reflect his character. Then you might be ready to serve in the leadership roles where God will place you. And number two, well, and here's the warning, verse James 3, 1, not many of you should serve as teachers, my fellow uh, believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. It's a warning. Those who have served well, though, in verse Timothy 3, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. There's reward. Finally, what does all this mean? I'll say this. Would you do this? Would you also pray regularly for our current and future leadership? I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm not just talking about paid staff, but all of our leadership, our current and future leadership here at Valley Baptist Church. We are entering that phase in our, in our revitalization and reconstruction. God has brought numbers. We're starting to grow again. There's exciting opportunities. But let's be faithful to pray for both that new current and new leadership that God will raise up. Finally, what does this mean for you? Well, someone here 
or someone watching online, you might not yet be a believer. And maybe you're saying, yeah, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I, I need that forgiveness. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We all need the, for the death and resurrection of Jesus to count for us. Will you say yes to Jesus? Some of you, you've kind of been waiting, but maybe today's your day that you're saying, yeah, I, I want to be part of this church family. I want to join here and be a member here. I want to use the gifts that God is and the character and who he's called me to be, to be a leader here and to serve among God's people here. If that's you, you can come on down to the front. We'll be happy to, to talk to you more about those two decisions. Or talk to me after. We'll be happy to let you know what it, what it is to be a member here in this congregation. God is calling. Are you listening? Are you pursuing? Becoming the person that he wants you to be. The worship team is going to come and lead us in one more song. Hey, I, I, it's about pursuing God first. Let's let it be a prayer for all of us. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that you've given us instructions about, about being the kinds of leaders uh, we're supposed to be. God, would you help us? Would you transform us? Would you change us into being the men and women that you've called to serve your people, to be those elders and pastors and deacons, to be those who, who do the un, unheralded jobs, unsung heroes? Help us be those that are faithful to your work. God, bless this church. Help us be a light in the world and bring many more to know you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.